Welcome to Pushing Dirt. I'm Camilla Ranson, and this is your one-stop shop for everything real estate, whether it's buying, selling, renting, development, city planning, interior design, architecture, the history of architecture, homelessness, feng shui, real estate agents, and the odd but necessary ghost hunting. It all applies, and you don't want to miss it. I'm going to take a moment to talk to you about our sponsors for this episode, Grand Interiors International. Grand Interiors International is a Palm Beach-based design firm and high-end boutique specializing in customizable furniture, European bed linens, luxurious bath decor, and exceptional home accessories. We all know that decor is a how to make any house feel like a home. And with a wide array of luxury furniture, bath, lighting, decorative pillows, home fragrance, artwork, and home accessories, Grand Interiors International has something for every home enthusiast. And with the holidays right around the corner, Grand Interiors International is a one-stop shop for all things decor and the home lover in your life. Shop today at grandinteriorsinternational.com. Um, welcome to Pushing Dirt, uh, the podcast about real estate where we cover everything real estate, buying, selling, real estate agents, developers, feng shui, art, and interior design, and much, 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 much more. And today my guest is Rob Jensen. He is a real estate agent in Vegas, and he caught my eye because of, well, Vegas. <laughs> it's a, it's sort of still that kind of place where that we have all these certain ideas about, and um, and people who live there just live and work there. Um, but I also think they sort of find it a sort of a magical place. Um, so I wanted to talk to him about the state of real estate there, and I also read. Um, some some stuff about him and talking about um you know the high cost of renting and stuff and when you really want to rent the luxury stuff which I would love to hear about and then I want to also hear about all about the rest of Vegas and here's the kicker I also want to hear about you um so tell me what got you in to real estate so it's kind of a fun story the um you know, I was originally pre-med and went to college for, you know, to be a doctor. And I got a degree in biology and I spent a lot of time volunteering in hospitals and it was a really neat experience. However, through that process, I just kind of felt like it really wasn't the right fit. And, um, so I took a break and actually just, you know, once I graduated college, went rock climbing and, you know, rock climbing is a big passion of mine. And I happened to be in France. I was there for a while. It was supposed to be a bit longer and had a finger injury, which happens every now and then with climbing, nothing permanent. And at the time I, uh, moved back to Vegas and, um, you know, got settled in. And, and around that time, I also had a friend that was a professional climber that was starting to get out of being a professional climber. And he was in selling real estate and he took me on some appointments and, and to me, it was just right out of the gate. I'm like, wow, this is a, a perfect fit. You know, I, you know, was selling gum in high school. Well, I was in middle school. I was selling gum. And then I, you know, I didn't get to go on the eighth grade trip because I was selling fireworks in wow. school. And so to me, sales has always just been this sort of fun thing that sort of just seems to be a part of, you know, me. So it just really happened to be a lucky fit to, to find it. 
I like this idea that one passion led you to another, and also there's a little bit of danger in the in the rock climbing, and certainly also selling gum in eighth grade. I'm I'm kidding, and I'm not, you know, because. Because there are these sort of similarities of both selling and seeing if you can do it. You know, like getting to that point of like, if I can just get a little higher, will I get away with this? Certainly not as a seller, but um, there is that thing of the thrill of like, will we get there? You know, and and knowing I know, you know, like you as a realtor, you get there. And um, so I love that you started that way. And so your friend introduced you to his passion as well. And so how did you actually begin in uh, in Vegas? What was it like and when was it? So an interesting time. I mean, it was a great time, obviously. It was, I got licensed in February of 2003, mm-hmm. which was beginning, the beginning of this first real estate boom, you know, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the, or the last real estate boom, shall I say, that, you know, we know how that ended with the short sales and whatnot. But that was a great time and it was, you know, inventory had been very low in Vegas and the new construction homes were becoming popular. And what was starting to become really popular was investing or, you know, investors putting money down on a new home or something that, you know, Toll Brothers or um, Pulte or KB homes would take maybe six months to build. So maybe you put a thousand or 5,000 bucks down to lock in your price, reserve the house and the site, but wow. you wouldn't own it until it was actually done, which could take upwards of six months. And by the time it was done, the price had maybe gone up $50,000 you know, more or less. And you could close on the house and then turn around and sell it for a profit. So that's really what started the, the mania, at least in Las Vegas, was all of a sudden people started to catch on like, wow, I just made that much money and I didn't do anything. Let's do three, let's do five. And just sort of in true Vegas fashion, they sort of let it ride and just sort of parlayed all their winnings and, you know, from one sale into multiple sales into multiple. And I think that's what really fueled that bubble because you just had so many people just buying multiple, multiple homes that they couldn't actually afford to carry. They were doing the no money down thing, that whole Mm. thing. So it was a good, it was an opportune time. It was fun because I would, you know, I had to kind of scout out and constantly try and stay out in front of, well, what, what development's coming up next? Because the idea was to be in the first phase so you could catch on to this appreciation. Right. And all of a sudden, it just became, you know, we started having these campouts. Like, I remember the first time, you know, I, we found out like, oh, they're opening for, you know, this pre-sales tomorrow morning. What do you mean camp out? That you would camp out for the... What do you mean in, by that? Because I think I, like, you know, when you see like the the PlayStation release on Black Friday and people <laughs> yes. are in front of Best Buy the whole night before. I mean, yeah. literally, that's what it was. And and so I remember there was a couple people in front of me and I don't know, it was only like seven o'clock. And I'm like, well, it looks like I'm s- sleeping here tonight. So I reached out to some friends and had them bring me some food. This was before, you know, all the Uber Eats and stuff and right. you know, bring me a toothbrush and and that kind of began, and eventually, the, these campouts to reserve our space and be able to get clients, you know, selections just became part of the part of the wave back then. So, so that's when it all started, and obviously, you know, got to ride that that wild time. 
I mean, that was an especially wild time be- because and in, in, in Vegas because I think also people first like there was Vegas and gambling and then entertainment became such a huge um, money maker there and then people really started to look at real estate in Vegas and I mean my listeners know this but like at like I lived um, I actually no I didn't live in Vegas but I spent some time there actually in Southern Highlands in like two thousand four and two thousand five. And um, and at the same time, my family was living in Dubai, and I do remember them standing in line to get, you know, in on the first. I mean, nobody had even f- really figured out what was going to be there, <laughs> and people were just buying, you know. And um, so you went through this boom, and it must have been really exciting to see, though, to see people. I mean, we know the aftermath, but it must have been really exciting to see people get into tangible investment, you know, and uh, and knowing that they could do it. You know, I find that, like, that must have been fun to see. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt it was fun to help people make money, you know, and it's always fun to have happy customers and, you know, whatever that's like, I mean, whatever the situation, whether they need to sell and they get a great price or they're moving and they find the perfect home for their family in the pool. But in that time, it was just fun to, you know, have your clients love you because you would help hook them up with these awesome situations where they would just were making money. And, and it was nice too for business because then you'd have repeat customers. I mean, normally with real estate, people aren't, you know, coming back every week for a house. It might be every, right. you know, couple of years. It might, it might be a couple of years. It might be 10 years. And especially as, you know, we help a lot of sellers, you know, when they move out of town, well, they're not around to buy or sell anything anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was nice with working with that investor sort of situation where people were always happy to buy more, you know, right. and, and that was fun. Yeah. So we get to 2008 and it doesn't really get to like, you know, hit the markets really hard until 2009, 2010, as far as I, is that, is that me not remembering correctly? Um, but, um, how did you, because at that point, you must have been a newer agent, right? Like, you, I don't know how many years you had under your belt by the time that happens. So, I mean, not new, but, like, there were probably people who had been in the industry for 30 years. Do you know what I mean? And so how did you weather that? Like, how did you go through that? Because that's a so big that was, thing. Oh, yeah, no, it was definitely a thing. And, um... We didn't do a lot of the REOs. The, those REOs is another word for these bank foreclosures. And those mm-hmm. people that were did those, that was a smart thing to do where they went up and went out and made these relationships with asset managers. We actually just helped a lot of people do a lot of short sales, mm-hmm. you know, because there were, and there were still people buying. So we were still busy. Um, obviously things had slowed down a bit. And, mm-hmm. and to revisit what the short sale was, is that was just basically it was a short sale, not because it was a short process. It actually became a long drawn out process. It was a short sale because the seller um, owed more on their home than it was worth. So if they were to sell it, they would either have to write the bank a check to make the bank whole on the loan, but they generally didn't have that money. So they were short the money. And so in those situations, the banks were willing to take a loss it's just that process took a while to get the paperwork in and the bank would take months to get back to us. And, you know, it was just sort of this ongoing headache, which it was an interesting sort of pro the balance there was normally on a 
typical real estate transaction, there's generally more work on the front end and less work on the back end, meaning the, you know, the amount of hustle and marketing and showings and communication and feedback and staging and everything you just mentioned in the intro of the show is kind of more like 10x on the front end. And the back end has got a lot of work to still do to manage the transaction and you know due diligence, but it's relatively a smoother process. Whereas it was the opposite on a short sale. On a short sale, the sellers didn't care what they sold the home for because they weren't going to net any proceeds anyways. And so you could really price the home to sell immediately. But then, uh, then it was like the process began on the back end, and on the back end, it was just drawn out. That can be like a where, six months yeah. process, right? Yeah, and then one, of, and especially in the beginning, I mean, it could take a couple months, and because the market kept dropping, you'd finally get an approval, and then the buyer would be like, "Oh, well, I don't want to pay that for the house anymore <laughs> because it's worth less." So you'd start over again, and so it was definitely. Uh, a true grind on that end because it was just dealing with the banks and there was no timeliness and it was just a, but anyways, that was, that was that. So we still kept busy. There were still, you know, and at all times, that's one thing I've learned, whether things are headed up or headed down, you know, people just have to move for all kinds of reasons, whether they're, whether it's growing family and empty nester, marriage, divorce, job relocation, you know, making more money, making less money. There's just, Life goes on and, you know, housing needs change. I love that. I mean, life goes on. I mean, we've all been in situations where we've had to sell, you know, because or like where we wanted to buy, we wanted to buy a specific thing. And I mean, I feel like that's always as buyers, you, you know, you want to buy a specific thing, but you want, don't want to buy it for that much you know, and then people are like, well, that's what it costs. <laughs> like, And then you end up sometimes buying it for a lot more because suddenly you're in a competition, you know. And um, I think that's how The Bachelor works as well. Uh, but I think pretty much that's what it is. You know, bidding war for a house is The Bachelor when people are like, I didn't like him that much before, but now that everyone else, okay, I'm really interested, you know. So, um, so it... Um, it must have been just a, like I keep saying interesting time because it was it might go down like that in history, but it was a terrifying time. And so when did it start to turn in Vegas? It could turn back to um, sort of um, pseudo normal. 2013 is when I think that year there was about 20 percent appreciation. And the main thing that caused that is there were you know, for quite some time that there was probably upwards of a thousand more or less notice of defaults filed every month, which is the first step in the foreclosure process. You know, there's someone hasn't been making their payment, the bank's going to file a notice of default. And then, you know, I think it's about three months later, they can file a notice of trustee sale, and then ultimately end up foreclosing on the house. So there were some assembly bills that were passed that basically said, okay, now the banks have to have the original like actual loan documents, like the hard copy, which none of them had basically. And so, so we went from, you know, literally a thousand or something like that notice of defaults a month to less than a hundred or less than 50. And so basically it was like the spigot was turned off for, you know, new distressed inventory. Mm -hmm. And by then the builders had already ducked out, you know, they had already been out of the game for a while. 
So all of a sudden, the things turned. All of a sudden, there started to be bidding wars again. You know, I mean, inventory was barely over 3,000 homes, single-family homes on the market in Vegas, which might normal is more maybe like seven to 9,000. Plus, there's also normally new construction options. But during this time in like 2000, the bottom of the market, 2010, 11, 12, like builders had basically stopped building because mm-hmm. they couldn't build, they couldn't compete with the foreclosures. So, so anyways, 2013 is when things picked back up again. And, and since then things just continued to, you know, charge upwards, but slowly, but steadily until, you know, up until the current time. So. Right. And uh, so did you find as well in the beginning of the quarantine that things weren't like there was sort of things weren't selling? And as we got further into it, suddenly, like, I mean, and that's sure. sort of been, you know, a, a, you know, an international, you know, worldwide thing that people were like nothing happened. People couldn't sell. People were selling under what things were worth at the very beginning. And then suddenly something switched and you could name your price. And I was like, I didn't quite, I didn't quite understand. I understood it from a European point of view because I knew what was happening there, but I didn't know exactly what was happening in, you know, in worlds and countries ruling where we're not getting a ton of help from the government, you know? Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's um, it was. I think the lockdown stuff or the whatever they call it, closures in Las Vegas mm-hmm. were starting around March, and you know even the COVID talk had been sort of brewing before that, and so things were pretty dead all the way up until about July. I guess no uh, pun intended there. <laughs> the um, where things were just quiet. You know, there was a couple sales here and there, but everyone was like, you know, obviously huge uncertainty. And then all of a sudden, July of 2020 was basically when the floodgates just burst open. Mm -hmm. And it was off to the races. I mean, I used to think I worked all the time. And apparently, I found a a whole nother gear. (laughs) Because I mean, it was just the, the next 12 to 13 months was just, you know, bidding wars, skyrocketing prices. I mean, it it's just like, like no other market. I mean, even when the market was hot before it was hot, but this was just, I mean, in the early two thousands, but this was like even hotter. I mean, it just was unbelievable. And the market is still strong. I mean, a couple of quick notes in Las Vegas, we specialize in guard gated real estate, which is predominantly the higher end market in Las Vegas. Most of the higher end custom homes, guard gated, yeah, I'm sorry, golf course homes, are in these guard-gated communities such as the Ridges, the Summit, Askaya, McDonald Highlands. And literally inventory is down about half of what it was wow. a year from a year ago. Mm-hmm. But the volume of sales is basically the same. Right. And so you've just got still high demand and very low supply now. And so the pricing just as it was skyrocketed and, and as it is now you're you're still seeing great prices i think things are stable a little bit for the moment i mean normally holiday season is when things slow down a little bit in vegas they don't stop it just slows down a little mm. now last winter it didn't slow down at all i remember um, this winter this winter i mean you're just 
with such low inventory, it's a little bit trickier because people are having a little bit harder time finding what they want, you know, mm. because you just have less to choose from. And some sellers, of course, are trying to take advantage of the, the favorable market conditions and are asking a premium, but maybe have gone a little overboard with what they're asking. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So I mean, it, um, we had it here as yeah. well. Yeah. It was people like, just try to say a number and see if people will. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. just any random number that comes into my head. <laughs> um, so so you you um, you guys focus on gated communities, which there are many of in in Vegas. It was sort of it's sort of the strip, and then a lot of these communities sprung up. I mean, I noticed it because I was in a relationship at the time with a man, like in two thousand three, four, five, like where his family lived there. And so I was out there a lot. And I saw these communities that, you know, sometimes gated community, when people first started saying that, you were like, oh, just all the houses look the same. And these areas were stunning. You know, they were beautiful. And it gave, in Vegas really did a different, like a good job, you know, on on creating something that felt very individual, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And and that was really, um, like, that was really nice to see, you know, because I've seen it, I've seen that in other parts of the world where you build in a similar style and it looks amazing, you know, and everybody gets to have a little variety here and there, you know. And and so they're, they're beautiful in Vegas. They're stunning. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of neat neighborhoods. And there are still some more like compound, larger estates that aren't necessarily in these guard-gated communities. And those you might see a little more in the northwest or southwest where people either just want more land because a lot of these, you know, these guard gated communities have CCNRs and rules and whatnot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For example, and generally the lots are not that big. And so, you know, when people have things like RVs or boats or sort of toys, right. generally there's ARVs aren't allowed in these guard gated communities. So people either have to get other storage for them, you know, mm-hmm. or sometimes people choose to not live in these communities. But a lot of people enjoy having the extra, you know, security, the guard and the trucks that drive around. And, you know, some of them offer some really nice lifestyle amenities with country clubs and whatnot. And like I said, some of the views are spectacular as well. And so that just seems to be kind of more of what's popular in terms of the higher end market in Las Vegas is having that extra guarded security. Okay, so I have a couple of questions about two areas of Vegas that's always intrigued me. Um, one is Lake La- Las Vegas. Um, I was sh- shocked. It looked like a like a little Italy, like a little, <laughs> you know. What is that? That's something. Are those the places with more um, more land? Or are they just beautiful on a lake? <laughs> those are. Those are just beautiful on a lake. So there's mm-hmm. same same idea. There's it is a master plan community. There's okay. not a lot of big lots, so to speak, where you'd have like your acre or probably even a half an acre. Mm-hmm. There's been a definitely a resurgence in Lake Las Vegas. It's it's a nice area. It's still probably about 20, 25 minutes from Henderson. So the mm-hmm. way Las Vegas is laid out, you have the strip that runs, you know, south, north, south. And on the west side, on the far west side, close to Red Rock National Park. You have Summerlin, which mm-hmm. is a master. It's still technically Las Vegas, but it's a master plan community with 
you know, built by Howard Hughes. It, like I said, has the ridges and the summit and tournament hills and all these nice. That was the first time when I was in Summerlin, that was the first time I'd heard music in the streets. Like you'd walk down the street and it had a soundtrack. You were literally like, <laughs> oh, my God, I have a soundtrack. I'd never seen that before. I don't know if I've seen it in a lot of places since, but it was amazing. Absolutely. And then. Um, was it built with Har- kind of- by Howard Hughes? He actually founded that? Yeah. So Summerlin is the name of Howard Hughes' grandmother. And so no way. back in the day, he bought all that land by Red Rock for, I don't know how much, probably five cents, you know, jokingly. Mm. And so, and they've, you know, Howard Hughes, they've been doing a lot of, they've been developing in Texas and whatnot, but for about 10 years in a row, Summerlin was the number one selling master plan in the nation. And so it's, it's just nice the way it's set up with all the walking trails and parks and pools and dog parks and pickleball courts and downtown Summerlin. It's just, it's just got a nice feel, nice backdrop with red rocks and a nice, easy to get in and out with the different freeways with 215 and Summerlin Parkway. And so it's, it's a popular place. And then you work down to the sort of Southwest side of the beltway. And that's that Southern Highlands area that you talked mm-hmm. about. And there's a nice guard gated Southern Highlands golf clubs down there is very popular. And um, that's a nice zone. And then once mm-hmm. you go over to the East side, and a little bit south, you get into Henderson, which is still, you know, if you didn't know, but if, if you didn't know it, you just think it was part of Las Vegas because it's mm. just still sort of like right there. And then you have some nice communities there. And then another sort of 20 miles about a little more east towards Lake Mead is Lake Las Vegas. And mm. it's a nice spot. I was out there watching fireworks at a client's house this recent 4th of July. And they've got some nice golf courses and amenities out there. And it is a nice feel. It's also a little bit more removed from the city. I mean, you're right. probably, like I said, you're probably about a 25-minute-ish drive into Henderson, Green Valley area for right. Whole Foods. You're just a little bit farther out. So it's a, right. it's definitely gaining in popular popularity. Um, a lot of people will still go, look, a lot of new clients coming from out of town, will generally they're not sure where they want to buy it. Right. Either Summerlin, Henderson, or Lake Las Vegas. Usually, Lake Las Vegas doesn't make the cut just because it's just a little bit farther it's out too far than out. they're looking yeah. for. Yeah. Okay. So another area um, is that I'm obsessed with is um, uh, Mount Charleston. <laughs> I just think it's <laughs> like you have the Strip. The Vegas Strip is amazing, and we've seen it um, really change. Um, over, you know, over many years and even like, um, uh, what's it called? Old Town Las Vegas. And, you know, that's, um, but, mm-hmm. but, but there's a thing about Mount Charleston and tell me about it. Cause I only know that there was like a little place and you can drive up there. And in the winter there would actually be snow. I was like, I don't get this. So I don't understand. And uh, there was this little sort of place that you went up there and got hot chocolate or whatever. And it literally felt like it was a time warp. You like you walked into what you assumed was the seventies, you know, and, and they had these little, they had like six or eight little, um, uh, cabins that you could rent. And I, I was so fascinated by that, and then the flip side to being in an amazing luxury hotel <laughs> on the Strip, you know? Um, I, I It was such an interesting, you think of Vegas as one thing, and then it just reveals itself as like 10,000 different things. Is that a place where yeah. people buy? 
It is. And um, there are there are some friends and clients that have bought up there. It's generally more of a, I mean, there's a whole community that lives up there. And it's a neat getaway. I mean, it's about 25 degrees cooler up at Mount Charleston and then <laughs> the rest of Las Vegas. So it's a great place. I'm into rock climbing, so I like to go up there and rock climb in the summer. Mm. It's really nice. There's there's great hikes up there. There's people go up there to run, to ride bikes. I mean, it's a, it's a neat escape. There is actually snow skiing up there. So the, the area you're talking about is off of Kyle Canyon, which is the first turnoff on the 95. If you go another 20 minutes, then you get to Lee Canyon. And that actually takes you up to a, a whole ski area. It's a pretty small mountain though. So it's fun to, you know, cause it's close or it's fun for beginners. But if you're a little more, you know, on the expert side of things, then you're probably going to go three hour drive to Brian head or five hour drive to mammoth. Right. But, uh, it's a, it's a great getaway. And I, <laughs> that lodge you're talking about actually just burnt down. That um, breaks my heart. Little, that is, that yeah. actually uh, was very hard for me when, when you first, I mean, told me that was, um, I have a hard time with that. <laughs> no, because it was. Oh yeah. Uh, no, it just was so different. You got up there and you're like, "What is this?" And it was like they just really hadn't changed anything since the '70s. And I was, that was when I really tried to like go back and understand what Vegas was, you know. Um, right. But hopefully they'll build it back to '70s and they will, you know, have hot chocolate from a machine. <laughs> and it has, and it's still fortunately the beautiful view is still there. I mean, oh my god, that deck was fantastic. But it just looked over the valley and up up all the the pine trees and the limestone walls and cliff bands, and so it's yeah. And just and that is a different lodge than the ski lodge. So people listening, the yes. ski lodge, is, yes, it's is not the ski there, lodge. But, no, yeah. it's the hot chocolate lodge. Yeah, uh, yeah. I actually don't even know what it was called. I just thought it was called the top of Mount Charleston. In my head, that's what it was, you know. <laughs> uh, and there's beautiful waterfalls and everything. Like, you can really see beautiful area. I mean, it's just stunning up there. It's, um, yeah, it's uh, it's like a little nature sanctuary. It's not even that little. I'm making that up. <laughs> um, so where um, I found out about you was um, – you were talking on uh, about high-end rentals on the Strip. So tell me about that, because obviously you also do, or you must do, quite a bit of rentals. Like you said, when people can't buy what they want, they rent. And um, and it was just interesting to hear the difference. I mean, I, there was even one with... Um, Mid, that was mid-century, and which is not a, a style I associate with Vegas, which is crazy because when you actually look at like the old Vegas, like the the one-story casinos, they they were kind of very mid-century in their in their style. And maybe I have that entirely wrong that Vegas is actually is mid-century. But I just thought um, one of them that was, you pointed out was mid-century. And um, tell me about those like high-end rentals. So part of the thing with rentals, and I would imagine most real estate agents would probably say this, is it's something that we do it as a way to help, you know, potential clients, you know, because a lot of folks that are moving to town, they maybe haven't, they're not exactly quite sure where they want to live. Mm -hmm. And it's just easier for them to get here and rent something and then sort of get settled in and figure out where they ultimately want to be. Other folks that are, that are building um, whether that be a full custom home where they bought a lot and then they've, you know, 
work with an architect and on plans and a builder to build, that could easily take a, be a two-year process. And even folks looking to just sort of do one of these semi-custom homes through someone like Toll Brothers or Pulte Homes and whatnot, that still could be a year, year and a half out. So the, the idea, like I mentioned before, with the new construction boom of the early 2000s of things being six months, well, it still doesn't take that long to build the house. It's just the process is just so, you know, they're just so behind, you know. So basically, you're getting in today to basically wait for them to start your house in six months. Oh, you know, wow. And then they'll pull permits. And it's just, I mean, it's as everyone's kind of aware of these supply chains with lumber and everything's just behind. So builders are running a little more behind. Plus, there's just such a demand that there's a waiting list for lots. And so a lot of people are, like I said, they're either, you know, renting to kind of get settled in and then figure out where they want to be or they're building and they got to, they've got to get to town, but their new home won't be ready for a while. So there's an instant connect between people buying and then having to rent at the same time and wanting to rent in, in sort of the category where they are hoping to build. Yeah. I mean, it's, some some people are different. Some can kind of camp out, so to speak, right. in something smaller until they get their new home mm-hmm. done. Others just prefer to sort of be in that community mm-hmm. or close to it because it's it is important. I mean, you can build a home remotely, but it's it's really to your benefit to be around more often. Oh yes, you know, yeah. reg- regardless of who the builder is, you know, whether you've got the best builders and contractors and architects and whatnot mistakes just get made and i've had seen just about every mistake possible where they put in the wrong tile in the shower or they put the flooring the the flooring going one way instead of the other way with the way the tile you know and it's just it's just better you have have to be be much happier with your finished product and have a much better process if you're just around to check in because you might you know just the way a plan gets drawn or you might start to see things coming together and be like, Oh, we should have put a window here or something. And now you do a change order with your builder (laughs) and you, and you get it done versus coming back four months later, it's going to be a lot more expensive to cut a hole in the wall. And yeah, (laughs) yeah, no, it's an, even when you're there, things can happen because, you know, you hire a builder because you're not a professional builder and suddenly you're like, Oh no, I didn't <laughs> I didn't see this coming. You know, so I think that's an interesting thing that people want to I mean, I, was, I understand that they want to be close to something they're spending a lot of money on. And I also understand that they they want to um sort of audition neighborhoods, you know, like when they when they don't know where they want to buy, they go into they rent in places where they're like is this where I want to be? Is this where, you know? And I think I mean, that's an industry in itself almost, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, there's just all have different feels, you know, in terms of the style, the look, amenities. And, and one more piece to add to that puzzle is given how competitive the market's been, sometimes it's just easier for people to just get here and then deal with finding the home because it's, you know, it's still one of those homes where, I'm sorry, markets where homes can sell fast. And if you're not in town and something new pops up, even if you're willing to put in an offer, you're, you, the, the seller might still feel comfortable going with someone that saw it in person or whatnot, you know, because right. they know, you haven't walked it. And so it's just, 
you know, we still have people that just buy and don't come here to rent first, but if you're kind of uncertain, it can just be easier to get here. And then you're sort of boots on the ground yeah. and just have better odds. And, you know, these fire drills, so to speak, where the house hits the market, you got to slide down the pole and run out and go look <laughs> as fast as possible. That is hilarious. The fire drill. I mean, it's, uh, it's an interesting, I mean, we had that here in, uh, I mean, I certainly had a couple of times where I had to go out and bid for in like 2015 and 16. And um, it was crazy. It was really, it was like a fire drill, you know, like where you ran towards <laughs> something. It was, you know, it's not, it hasn't even hit the MLS and you're just like, oh, here we go, you know. Um, but um I understand, like, because Vegas is so varied that you might think you want to be in one place and you want to be in another place. Um, and I was just thinking of, like, the difference between, um, the, I saw the luxury rental you had in, like, uh, gated community, but then I also saw, you know, the beautiful high-rise on the Strip and everything. And, and um, you know, the Strip feels like it's, the idea of it doesn't feel very... Um, like it feels like you're going to be amongst a lot of people, but you're really not. <laughs> you're up there, in in sort of a skybox, you know. Um, so that must that must attract different kinds of people. Do you feel like you know when somebody's like, I need to rent something, and I don't know. Do you feel like you know when you meet them? Do you have that feeling of like, I think you're going to like this, and do you trust that? Yeah, I've got a pretty good feel. It's and it's one of those things where. And for, well, I mean, it is just the process that even when I'm pretty sure I can tell people where they want to be, they, people still generally need to get out and look at stuff just so they kind of have that contrast, you know, and, right. and I can take someone to the perfect property first, but if they just haven't seen anything else yet, um, sometimes they're just still not ready to make that decision. And everybody's different. Sometimes people are, but sometimes people need to see five homes. Sometimes they need to see 20, 25 mm -hmm. homes, hopefully not more than that. Right. <laughs> but so that's one of the things I always just say to people that are starting to look is just get out and get, uh, I always tell people, look, I'm never going to force anybody or pressure anyone to, to buy, but I am going to pressure them to get out and get looking and get educated Yeah. because that's how you're then, then comfortable when the right property or the rental or whatever it is comes on the market you got to, there's going to be times you got to make a decision fast and having been out and looking at, just looking at things and knowing pricing and price per square foot and the views. And, you know, if you're talking high rises, how that varies, what side of the building you're on or what floor you're right. on. Yeah. You're just going to feel more comfortable making that sort of snap decision. Cause it's not a snap decision. If you've been putting some time into doing your homework, so to speak, and, and learning the market. No, it's not. I mean, it's also, it can be a very expensive snap decision if, if you're, you know. Um, I mean, I it, I think it's also with, um, for people, certainly for someone like me, is that I can have an idea and I can see the perfect place and I get there and I will just get a feeling of like, no. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have, sometimes I just get a smell, like it's a smell, like, yeah. or, or like, you know, like everybody, everything that we're getting into with neuroaesthetics and, and all that, like it's, it's literally like, this does not make me feel good. I mean, I have one of the homes I literally was like a teardown and I was like, no, I'm going to renovate it, which I'm still like, why did you do that? But it's beautiful. But, um, 
But and it was it was in complete disarray. And talk about smell, it would smell like you know, cat pee. Um, but I just had this feeling of like this is a perfect property. Like this is like the property is just so great. And I was right about that. But yep. I would walk into a different place that had this view and everything, and I was like, <gasps> no. You know, and that place is probably really? still, yeah, like I have this, just like I have a gut feeling that, you know, I don't know if it's, <laughs> it's a good idea to have, um, but I I also get excited about projects, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, the last thing I bought, like it was essentially, um, one thing I'm moving into now um, is essentially perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. There's it's it's like the style I like. It's everything, and I was like, I almost was slightly offended by that. I was like, everything is to my liking. What should I do? <laughs> and I did something. You know, I painted, which I've done before, and people get very mad when they hear it. But Scandinavians tend to paint their floors. <laughs> you know, so I painted wow. one. Yeah. Oh yeah. And um, I mean, I've gotten in so much trouble. You'd think I'd stop. You know, um, but I need in my bedrooms to have a white floor, white-ish floor. Uh, and yes, I have heard about carpets and rugs, but apparently <laughs> that's not. So I painted this floor, and it looks amazing. Um, I realize I have, I do have to glaze it a lot because otherwise it's just going to get dirty really quickly. Um, but it's just, um, it's just one of those things that I have. It's like. It can't be, it can't, I have to do something. Like, I have to, like, put my stamp on something or, and um, so so that's the kind of buyer I tend to be. So when it's in disarray, we can only go in one direction that's up, you know? Um, yeah. But there have been a couple of places where I've walked in and, it was kind of perfect, except the rooms were tiny. And then it's like, do I want to start tearing walls down? There's probably a reason why they had a wall, you know. And and the room that had the beautiful view was, you know, like a difficult, long, strange room, you know. And so um, not that I don't have a long, strange kitchen and dining room in one of the places I have now. but <laughs> And I've actually had, you know— dining tables made that are very slim, <laughs> you know, uh, so we can all be closer to each other, but it's really so it can be perfectly in that, you know, place. Um, so I go through a lot to get what I want within the space I'm given, you know, and because a lot of the times I'm like, do I want to get permits to expand this or do I want to get furniture made, <laughs> you know, and sometimes permits are just, it's too hard, it's just, it just, kills me, you know. Um, so, you know, and getting a table made sometimes has, but not entirely, you know. And so that's that's the kind of stuff that I sort of grapple with. So it's it's interesting to hear that you're dealing with a bunch of buyers who saw a picture of something and now they have to go back and see it. And so I can only imagine what that's like. And there must be some and I mean this in in the in a very heightened in a very <laughs> elegant way, there must be some hand-holding of going, this is going to be fine, you know? This is going to be okay, you know? No matter how much money you have, you buy something, you want to know it's going to be okay, you know? So that must be a, be a like, something else to 
real estate that people sometimes forget is that, you know, yeah, we're dealing with, you know, a place on earth, but we're also dealing with people, you know. And like you said, people can think they know the perfect place and you show it to them and they're like, no, how dare you, you know. Um, so you must also have a great feeling for people, I think, as a realtor. It's, yeah, it's definitely interesting that the personal relationship, you know, we get to have with our clients because, you know, there's times where, I mean, it's, it's not as easy as buying something, you know, on Amazon with one click, you know, there's, right. there's generally family, family members involved, sometimes kids, sometimes in-laws and, you know, and especially when it comes to selling, you know, people just, you know, there's just a lot more emotion and tied up with that. So it just takes patience, you know, it just takes, you know, good listening, patience, communication, and you work through it. I mean, people looking that are looking to buy, I mean, they're generally looking to buy for a reason because they are either moving to town or need more space and that sort of thing. And so there's, there's a need there hmm. and um, just being willing to listen and work with them and, and get them the right answers. And, and then, you know, as, as you work together with people, you, you build trust and, you know, and then sometimes there's a time where it's like, okay, I, I've got to sort of not push per se, but if they're interested, it's like, look, this is the right house for you. This is the right, you know, it's priced. Well, if you're interested, I strongly recommend we do something soon because all of a sudden, like you said, it's going to become the bachelor and there's going to be two mm -hmm. other suitors there. Yeah. And now we're going to be in that bidding war. You're so going to be crying in a car. Tonight, yeah. yeah. If you take too <laughs> yeah. much time, you might end up paying more for it or not even getting it at all. So there's right. times where, you know, people bring me on to help them buy a house, not to look at homes, you know? And which, yes. <laughs> yes. So there's times where I got to pipe up a little and, I sometimes I preface it and I just say, look, I'm going to sound like the salesman here. That's what I am. And if you, if right. you want this home, you better not goof around. Cause I see if just one quick example of people, maybe not knowing the market or having the right strategy in mind is I, I feel a lot of people watch a lot of real estate TV and they, they see people make these aggressive offers and get good deals. But, mm -hmm. and sometimes that happens, but I see it a lot lately where I'm on the listing side, I'm representing the sellers and I've seen buyers come in with an offer that was just made no sense. It was just too low, not right. even. And, and what they did is they just opened up a window for other buyers to come in. And that's been happening. Like had they made a better offer, we mm -hmm. might've either accepted it or countered and that buyer might've been able to lock up the house right. quickly but then because it was too low and then we took our time responding, it's just sort of, it dragged out and then some new, new bidders filtered in. And I've seen the original buyer actually miss out because they, they goofed off, you know, right. they didn't really take it seriously. And I, look, I can understand if people have a certain budget or can only pay a certain price and do that. And I, I guess the last thing um, I'll add to that is, you know, the, the early 2000 real estate market, people were happy to jump into bidding wars. You know, they didn't care. They would jump right in. Mm. These days, I still feel it's about 50-50 where the term bidding war kind of has people can, can cause some people to be gun shy and just walk away. Like there's times where if you and you mentioned there's an offer on the table already, they won't the other buyer just will decide not to write an offer. And I understand they might some a lot of people still have maybe a, a couple scars from you know the last real estate crash, mm -hmm. 
And so they don't want to get do the wrong thing. And my advice in those situations is still put in an offer and put in just the offer you're comfortable with. Because just because there's another offer on the table doesn't mean it's a good offer. Right. It could it might be a low price, it might be poor terms, it might be contingent upon selling another house that isn't even on the market yet. Mm-hmm. And so you might actually get the house, you know, versus, you know, because remember the, the listing agent, the agent representing the seller is doing their best to sort of create this sort of bidding, you know, marketplace. And so I, I understand not wanting to get caught up in the hype, right? but still, if you are interested, my advice is still submit your your best offer and leave it at that. And then maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. So. What do you think about the letter writing? Um, because I have been told to do that a few times. I'm like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm also a writer, but I'm not going to write like that can't be the thing that sways it. You know, that cannot. And then this last thing I did, I had met the owner and mm-hmm. um, like she happened to be there. And I was like, she was very concerned about who was going to buy the house because she loved it so much. And I've never written a letter before. Um, <laughs> but I got, I got also because she had the same style as me and she, she was sort of, um, you know, she's like, I just want the right vibe in here. I'm like, I understand it. I understand. I understand the business part. I understand the vibe thing, <laughs> you know? And, um, and she was also European and she's like, Oh, I'm like, you have to, we well, are still in America, <laughs> but, um, but I, I wrote a letter because I really wanted it, and that put me over the edge. And I was like, what? That was amazing. But that meant something to her, you know, like, and I wonder, because I've never, I don't think I've ever received a letter be, before. And I've also said, if the realtor said to me, do you want letters? I'm like, always been like, no, like, that I will be, <laughs> that I will want to give it to everyone. Like, that'll be terrible, you know? I'll give it away, you know. I would just be very swayed, you know, easily swayed. But like, or I would be like, no, I don't like what you're saying, you know. That, but that could just end in something else entirely. But she really, it, it, you know, since I'd met her, I, I, I saw how, how much this house meant to her, and I knew I could be truthful, you know, in the letter and sort of appeal to that I really wanted it, you know, and that's sort of the only thing, but do people do that in Vegas as well? Yeah, it's, it's definitely happens. Um, more so of course, because of the competitive nature of the market. And it's, it's just this interesting thing. Cause you're, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, some sellers just, it's not just about the money to them and it's mm-hmm. wanting that right buyer. And, and so as a buyer, it, it can definitely be worth doing, putting together why you picked that neighborhood, what you look about, like about the home, you know, and maybe even a picture of your family or your dog, mm. you know, it's, it's trying to have that personal element that helps push you over the edge. And I'm, I'm with you. It's like, on one hand, it's easier to be like, well, yeah, don't, I don't want to see any of these. Cause I just want to see what's going to get me the best. Cause mm-hmm. I, I've enjoyed my home and it was a fantastic chapter in my mm-hmm. life. And now I'm going to move to the next, but People are different, you know, and if mm. you can get an edge by putting it, putting that letter together, then I would do it. Yeah, no, to- totally. It's just, it's such a, this is what's so great about America is like, it becomes personal, you know, it's like, and, and um, I like that. And I didn't, I should have asked for letters before, but I am, I would be worried about 
my own sort of feeling of, like, it could be the lowest offer on the planet, and I would be like, but these people, you know, like, where all my business sense would go out the window, you know? <laughs> and so, exactly. so um, and it's true, the highest offer is not always the best offer. That is a very absolute, very, very truthful, you know, thing. Um, so this has been amazing. I'm so glad that... Um, we got really into the business of what you do because um, Vegas is, you know, to every people from everywhere listen, and it has, it has still has that magical flamingo, Buxy Siegel sort of thing mm-hmm. to a lot of people, um, and I'm super excited about knowing that Howard Hughes was sort of part of creating or created Summerlin. I love history of places like, um, and so this is. This is really fantastic to know. I had no idea. Um, yeah, Vegas, Vegas has had a pretty obviously neat, neat history and neat past, and it passed. And you know, as we grow, even with the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, which is our hockey team, which was born born in hockey. I'm sorry, born in Vegas, so to speak. They yeah. didn't move here from elsewhere, and so that's they've been embraced, and it's been really fun. And now we've got the Raiders here with Allegiant Stadium, and it's just kind of this whole new ch- chapter. So Vegas is really. Oh my god, that's awesome. gonna be so fun! Yeah. Like a like a ice hockey, and yeah, uh, and uh, I mean, um, yeah, that's gonna be incredible. Sorry, I'm moving on the chair, which I shouldn't when there's sound. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, I'm just very excited for. I'm gonna just delve into and follow you and and see what you're doing, um, and maybe have you come back at some point and tell me more. Um, but I do you have anywhere for people to get a hold of you? Do you have an Instagram? Yeah. Do you have a website that you'd like to tell us about? Yep. Yeah. So our website is robjensen.com. That's R-O-B-J-E-N-S-E-N. And then our Instagram is Rob Jensen Co. Co. Like company. Rob Jensen Co. I'd love to. Yeah. We'll find love to love to connect with you there. Yeah, that'd be great. This is and I'm sure a lot of people are you on LinkedIn? I am. Okay. I'm on, on there as well. You can okay. find me on, on there, Robert Jensen, for sure. So these are all the places that you can find Rob um, if you want to buy in Vegas. Um, so um, thank you so much for for doing this. This has been really, really just super enlightening about Vegas that, you know, at first I didn't think it was a place I was ever going to like. And when I started going there, I was like, oh, my God. This is like has so many aspects. The same thing that people always think about um, Los Angeles. They're like, I never thought I was going to like it. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I know. And then it sort of just embraces you in like 10,000 different ways. It's it's a really interesting thing. So um, thank you for being my guest today, Rob. You're welcome. And I'll say just one last thing. Yeah. I love your what you did, the painting your floor. I, it, first of all, I was, I was curious <laughs> what you are even going to say. And when you said that, it... <laughs> <laughs> There's a neat restaurant in Summerlin called Vintner Grill. And originally when it opened, it, it had this white wood floor, but it had sort of, I don't want to really say checkered because it was kind of a some green, like a lime greenish tint. You know, it yeah. kind of has this older school look with some black and white movies playing on the wall. Uh-huh. But I just know that look that you've created and that comes to mind. And they later redid the floor and they didn't repaint it. And it's just not the same. And I, I think that's such a neat thing you did because so many people, what I find is so many people like to try and do design things to their home, but mm-hmm. they maybe don't make the best selection. And one 
sample of that is backsplashes. People, people yeah. just pick some busy stuff where people mm. find a lot of different things that they like and that are neat on their own. And they, then they start to put these things all together and it starts to become a little weird. So I like yeah. that you were able to do this nice, subtle thing to your home that had a need. It, it gives touch. me, I do it also because it gives me a sense of safety, like a coziness, you know? Uh, and, you know, Dane's a big on Hugo, the whole, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it it's it's this like sense of belonging and coziness and i mean the the floors in my other houses i had them you know completely stripped and and bleached and light and people were like no and i was like just go with it because that's what's going to happen you know yeah. and it's and it's <laughs> and it's wood it's 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 you can work with it it's a, you know, like you can, it's, wood is, is not going to, you know, it's not going to be payback from the wood because you painted it. You can still strip it again, yep. you know. But Danes tend to do that a lot in um, in Denmark. And, uh, and and Swedes do it and everything. And it's a done thing. But the first time I did it, I had a condo. And I, I, took, I had, I shouldn't have done this in a condo. And I should have read the whole thing, what it says we couldn't, couldn't do. <laughs> but um, I created concrete floors because I like I looked at the internet it couldn't be so hard right and I did yep. that and then I painted them white and I mean it kind of looked like a skating rink but it was stunning you know but the board did not uh -oh. think oh yeah it was a whole thing which I won't even go into now um because that was a whole story in itself um, that I actually made a show about, but that's a whole different. <laughs> that's a whole different, yeah. But um, but that was like it's just something I do because it makes me feel safe, and I think aesthetically, it's it's gorgeous, and it's, it's such a quick way to change a room. I'm not saying you can only play, paint them white, you know. If you want black yeah. floors, if you want like any kind of you know, um, but white floors are. You know, give me a sense of home and also what I feel is elegant. <laughs> so, um, so, and I like the the you know intersection of you know feeling safe and elegant. <laughs> so, so that's just why I do it. Super. Yeah, well, it's been fun. Yeah, it, this has been so fun. Thank you so much. And you know where to find Rob, and we will also have his details. Um, on the actual podcast page. So thank you so much, Rob. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye.